Welcome to the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, where it's all about slashing your debt, slashing your taxes, and creating a liberated lifestyle. And now, your host, who met his wife while training for the 400 meters in Seattle and is eating gluten-free whilst lusting after bread, Dave Denniston. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Dave Denniston. And of course, our mission here is to help you slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle. And as, as you all know, I'm really doing a lot of focusing on financial planning this year. We're still talking about some of the interesting things, bring on interesting guests. And I wanted to continue to impart to you from some prior recordings that I've done. Again, this is like a decade ago. I hear from physicians all the time. Gosh, I feel clueless about investments. No one's told me the basics of how this stuff works. And so my goal for this year is to really continue to educate you on things you should be thinking about, things that you should know. Some of you might already have educated yourselves. You know, you subscribe to 10 different financial podcasts, you read financial books, you read financial blogs, and you really know a lot. Well, guess what? This episode probably isn't for you. Uh, this is really, this episode today, Investment Knowledge 2.0, is for physicians that maybe know a little bit of the basics, but they really want to increase their knowledge and uh, have some good basic things to know at their disposal. So I'm going to walk you through it. And again, this episode is about 10 years old, so I hope you enjoy it. This was stripped from some audio that I did from a video a long time ago. Really great, good information in this. I hope you enjoy it. So with no further ado, here is the episode. Welcome. My name is Dave Dennison with the Capital Advisor Group. Welcome to the first video in my new series, Financial Planning 201, the advanced courses you never got in school. Well, over the next 15 minutes, I'm even going to reveal to you how you can identify historically the most risky periods in the market. I'll give you a hint. It's only going to take 10 minutes of your time to find out every single year. All right. Then I'm going to help you learn how you can apply this knowledge to protect and grow your nest egg. Now listen, I've helped over a hundred people work towards their financial goals, which means to you, I'm going to give you the tools to help you succeed as well. Now I got to be honest here. Most folks that I work with, they can't take the emotional roller coaster of the ups and downs of the market. Strategic asset allocation, which is meant as buy, hold, rebalance, means they have to cling on bare knuckles, light in the face and swallow those losses that inevitably will happen from time to time. And you know what? Most folks, they love making money. They love climbing, 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 climbing to the top, but they hate that ride down. They can't stand the thought of losing much of their hard earned money. And most of my clients, they don't watch the market from day to day or even month to month. But you know what? They do open up their statements and if they see that, big drop. Their stomachs are churning and churning from the ride and they want to get off at the worst possible time. Thus, personally, 
I prefer tactical asset allocation for the majority of our models and our clients. And you know what? It's not perfect. But, but it can work to minimize that downside risk and smooth out that ride. Now, many strategic asset allocators point out that you can't perfectly time the market. It can't happen. You know what? They're absolutely right. And hey, I understand that sentiment, but here's the method behind my madness of how tactical asset allocation can and should work. Now, in case you didn't know, I love history. I'm a history buff. I will read and learn all the time, even today. H2 is actually my current favorite station since the History Channel is now all about these stupid reality shows and doesn't actually show any actual history. If I wasn't a financial advisor, I would definitely be a doc or a history prof. Hey, if you feel similar, check out Ron Chernow. He does some really great biographies, particularly ones on George Washington and Alexander Hamilton. But anyhow, I digress. I am constantly looking to get better, reading new things, picking up new strategies that I can research myself, and then to double check that data. My ultimate goal is try to help clients protect on the downside while we can still participate on the upside. So in 2012, I did some research going back about 15 years. And I shared this in my 2013, 2014, you're looking forward newsletters. But here's the deal. I was struck out how every year, every single year, had a point at some point during the year where there was a job from January 1st, even if it was ever so small, from the beginning of that year. So I asked myself, how can I learn from history? How can I learn to be a better asset manager with this? So I picked up the Stock Trader Almanac 2013 edition that was by Hirsch, and also using another tool called VectorVest. We were able to pull up data all the way back from 1930 up through last year. And so here were those results. 59 times out of 66, or about 90%, the S&P has been below its beginning of the year price. Also, 28 times out of 66, or about 40%, the low point has been a negative 10% drop or greater from the beginning of the year. What can we conclude from all of this? Number one, it's actually not an aberration to have a year where the market never had a negative closing point from the start. I believe this always means we have to have some money invested in stocks because there may never be a dip from the beginning of the year. We should expect one out of every three years to end in a negative year. And this is about 40% of the time we should expect a drop of 10% or more. So this happens a lot, nearly half the time. But you know what? You can't wait always for that large double digit drop. So what can we do to prepare for these drops? Because we know they're gonna happen and they can be so painful. What can we do about that? And you know what? This data was good, but it was not good enough. It was helpful considering when we might want to deploy some new cash, but it does not help us with knowing when we need to get more conservative. So you know what? I challenge myself. Let's dig deeper. Let's see what other trends there I could find. And this led me to the January effect. Now, full disclosure here, I was first made aware of the January effect of the S&P 500 in the Stock Traders Almanac all the way back in 2011 edition. But you know what? I didn't pay much attention to it. It was just a market timing gobbledygook, right? However, 
after going through multiple ups and down cycles, I figure there's got to be a better way. So I reviewed the January effect again in 2012 and again in 2013, and I really took some time to do my own research. And I was blown away, shocked by these powerful results. Now, at first, this data was so overwhelming. This is 80 years plus to pour over. But you know what? Once you sort the S&P 500 into descending Januaries, starting with 1950, it's like this pattern emerges. Like this light from a lighthouse is cutting through this dense fog, like a knife showing us the way to the coast. So check this out. Here's what we got to do. We start with the price at the beginning of the year, the low price of the year, the high price of the year, and the ending price for the year. And then we calculate all these percentage gains. And here's what it all comes down to. You divide January into three categories. When it's positive 4% or more, when it's between 0 to 4%, and when it's negative in January. And now for a commercial break. Have you been wondering what I'm so tired of working? What would it take to retire? Maybe you've been thinking about, gosh, I want to have a plan for getting out of medicine, but I'm not sure of the right way to do that. What are the steps that I need to take? Well, that is why I put together this ebook which is the roadmap to retire by 45. It lays out literally step-by-step step what you need to do, how to go through it, how to calculate it. Uh, I think this is a fantastic ebook that will probably take you 15, 20 minutes to read through, but really lays it out step-by-step. Step. If you want the ebook, e just text ROAD to retire. That's R-O-A-D-T-O-R-E-T-I-R-E to 833-343-2986. Again, text ROAD, T-O, RETIRE, ROAD to RETIRE, to this number, 833-343-2986. It'll be 20 minutes that will really change your life. And now, back to the show. Now first, when you have this positive 4% or better January, the average year ends at positive 22%. And the low point is a mere negative 1.6. What this table doesn't tell you is that nearly all of these years, when there is never a dip, occur in a positive 4 January. And this happened just recently in 2012 and 2013. And out of these 11 occurrences, nine happened in a positive four January. And then of the 19 positive four Januaries, that's almost half. So in a positive four January, you have to get invested. You can't just be partially invested. You've got to be fully invested per your risk tolerance at a minimum. As a matter of fact, you might even consider going more so. You can't wait. Otherwise, you could miss out on an average additional gain of 18%. Well, you may say, are some outliers throwing this off? And I checked into it, and the answer is amazingly no. Of those 19 years, 14 of them ended with a positive 18% return. That is 
5% with a high double-digit return after January. And additionally, out of those 19 years, 18 ended with a positive spread over that 4%. That's 95%. 95. Now next, with a slightly positive January, all right, this is number two, between zero and 4%, we know the results are still really positive, but just not as stellar as a positive 4% January where this mo, mo, mo momentum was in full effect. Now notice the average year still ended an amazing positive 11% with an average positive January of about two, or a spread of a 9% gain. And again here, the average isn't thrown off by outliers. 15 of 20 of the years end up with a positive 7% or gain. This means 75% of the time they've had a positive spread of 5% or more. And this is where this negative 3% dip that we're talking about earlier becomes commonplace. As a matter of fact, the average low point in a slightly positive January is negative 5%. So this begs the question, well, when should you put your money to work? Should you wait for a dip? A double-digit dip? How common is that? Now, I do want to point out here, it does happen. Three out of the 20 years, or about 15% of the time, have a low point that is a double-digit dip. Now, in my opinion, this does warrant review, but we can't wait for that double-digit dip when you're in a positive January. It does suggest a slightly positive January is still worth putting most of our money to work, if not all of it, in a traditional asset allocation model. But if you do wait for a slight dip, that's okay. But you know what? Don't wait too long. And don't wait for that large dip, because a huge percentage of the time, it ain't gonna happen. Lastly, let's talk about a negative January. Talk about, wow, the average year starts with a negative January that ends with negative 4%. And the average low point is negative 17. Ouch! Not only that, but the average high point is only 6%. These numbers are so powerful and very telling for that low point because 17 out of the 26 years or about 65% have a double digit dip. That is a powerful majority. However, however, the remaining 35% have a low point between negative five and negative 10. Heck, 26 out of 20 years have a 5% dip or more and have a spread from January. That is all of them, 100% have a lower low point from the end of January. However, by year end, this is where these outliers can be deceiving with a negative January. 10 of the 26 years still in positively. That's about 40% of the time. And of those 10, only four end with positive double digits. Talk about a mirror of the positive January, right? You can still end the year positive, but great appreciation is not very likely, although it definitely is possible. So all in all, the big ugly is significantly likely, 
but not guaranteed to occur after negative January. This is certainly worth your while if you're hesitant to strongly wait and wait for a dip. However, however, once the S&P does dip down to a slight negative, let's say negative five, negative six, put money to work because there's still a chance the year could end positive. Otherwise, you can miss out on that year. And this is where market timing can hurt. As of the time of this video, October 2014, this is exactly what is happening this year. We're having a sl very slight, very slight positive return that started out really ugly back in January and February. You can tell I'm excited. I just love this stuff. All right, so there you got it. Quick crash course of all the research I've been doing, how you can identify the most historically risky periods in the environment of the market, as well as time periods to get more aggressive. So always just look at what happened in January. It's only going to take 10 minutes of your time to find out. Use this. Be cautious in a negative January or go crazy wild in a positive four. But of course, this ain't the only thing you need to keep in mind. There is so much more to learn. If you'd like to know more about how I use the January effect and other technical indicators, give me a holler. My contact info is below. And hey, I hope you found this video to be helpful. I love this stuff. Just feel free to give me a ring. You have any questions, you have any comments, all right? For the Capital Advisory Group, this is Dave Denniston. Thank you so much for watching. Well, thank you, my friends, so much for listening to the last podcast. I am pleased to announce that I am now a completely independent financial advisor, where to the point now I can really integrate my financial planning practice with this podcast. If you might be looking for help, if you have found any of our information here interesting or relevant and you're looking for a second opinion, I'm making myself available for 30-minute strategy sessions. And if you want to arrange a time to meet with me to discuss your situation and see if we might be a good fit for one another, I'd like you to call our office and speak with Kyla. Our phone number is 612-284-2409. Again, that's 612-284-2409. And I look forward to helping you with your financial situation. And now for some lovely legal disclosures required by our lawyer friends. Investment advice is only offered in jurisdictions where Centurion Financial Strategies, LLC, Centurion is appropriately registered or exempt from registration. Our Form ADV Part 2 brochure can be obtained free of charge at advisorinfo.sec.gov by searching for our firm name or its unique CRD number, which is 316-454. This podcast is not a solicitation to provide advisory services in any jurisdiction which we're not appropriately registered or excluded from registration. The information, statements, and opinions contained in this podcast have been obtained from or are based on information obtained from sources which we believe to be reliable, but we do not warrant or guarantee the timeliness or accuracy of such information. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and should not be construed as personalized investment, tax, or legal advice. 
Opinions expressed by any guest are their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the firm's views. You should carefully consider your own financial circumstances and needs prior to making any investment in securities or purchasing any insurance products. As always, past performance is not indicative of future results. Investing in securities or really anything else involves the risk of loss. If by some chance in this particular podcast, I mentioned insurance products, insurance products are backed by the financial strength and claims paying ability of the issuing insurance company. They may be subject to restrictions, limitations, and early withdrawal fees, which vary by issue. You should always consider the charges, risks, expenses, and investment objective of any insurance products before entering a contract. And that, my friends, wraps it up. Wish you all the best. Feel free to contact us with any info at www.davidenniston.com. Thank you so much and have a good one. Bye-bye.